Good morning. Would you please pray with me? Loving God, you have so made us that we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Give us a hunger for your word, and in that food, satisfy our daily need through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Last Sunday, the church celebrated Pentecost, the day when the church received from God the gift of the Holy Spirit. We often say that the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church. Today, we celebrate Trinity Sunday. It's the day when Christians remember that it was not only the church that the Holy Spirit called into being, but a great deal more. On this Trinity Sunday, scripture reminds us how ancient the Holy Spirit is. With the help of scripture, we can trace its history. The Spirit has been at work, not from the time when the church was born, but from the beginning of time when the world was created. We read this morning a passage from the book of Proverbs in which we find the Holy Spirit personified as Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom says about herself, the Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts long ago. Lady Wisdom speaks about being beside God when the mountains were shaped, the heavens were established, the skies were made firm, the seas were formed, and the foundations of the earth were marked out. According to Proverbs, creation does not exist apart from wisdom. What we find in chapter 8 is that the world's creation is told strictly in relation to her. She is created, in verse 22, set up, in verse 23, brought forth, in verses 24 and 25, present before creation in verse 27, and actively growing up and playing in verses 30 and 31. So involved in every step of creation, wisdom says about herself, I was beside him like a master builder. The Greek translation of this verse gives us a more specific sense of wisdom's role in creation. It says that wisdom was beside him binding together. According to Proverbs, wisdom is the binding force behind creation, ensuring its interconnectedness. We are living in a time when the interconnectedness of all things is quite evident. So interconnected are all things that even the way we think about nature is being rethought. For thousands of years, many peoples used to separate nature from civilization, at times perceiving nature as the mortal enemy that civilization had to defeat. For European Americans, it was only in the 19th century that scientists and philosophers began to question the premise that nature was a threat to civilization. In fact, they began to see that the reverse could be true. 
that civilization could be a threat to nature. This recognition led to the protection of places like Yosemite and Yellowstone, and then eventually to the establishment of the United States National Park Service. Today, any notion of nature as untouched by human influence is dead. Given the ravages of climate change and pollution, as well as, ironically, the constant interventions of land management, we are increasingly recognizing the inadequacy of speaking about nature as if it exists separate from human beings. We are increasingly recognizing the impossibility of protecting all that we mean by natural unless we understand that the nature we fear losing is our own. The situation in which we find ourselves is overwhelming, way beyond anything that individuals or even individual nations can sufficiently address. Knowing this exacts an emotional toll. A 2017 report by the American Psychological Association noted that changes in climate can surface a number of different emotions, including fear, anger, feelings of powerlessness, or exhaustion. And that some people are deeply affected by feelings of loss, helplessness, and frustration due to their inability to feel like they're making a difference in stopping this. Others describe an unrelenting day-to-day -day despair and guilt in contemplating the impact of their own behavior on future generations. While these feelings are important indicators of a crisis that needs address, they are not sustainable. Feelings of fear, anger, and guilt will not fuel us for the long run. They will only lead to more feelings of powerlessness and exhaustion. Developmental psychology has shown that emotion plays a critical role in how we see the world. Emotions shape our perceptions of the world. They do this by selecting what we will perceive and then by coloring our perceptions. For example, Fear finds the world filled with threat. Depression can overlook the good things in life. And bliss tends to neglect the storm clouds on the horizon. If particular emotions have the power to select and color our perceptions of the world in this or that way, which emotion must we experience in order to perceive a vast picture, the myriad diversity of things in the world, the interconnectedness of all things. In other words, which emotion must we experience in order to gain wisdom? In the wisdom literature of the Bible, all arrows point to the emotion of wonder. Wonder is the appropriate emotional response to creation, and in turn, it is what is needed to gain the wisdom we need to live and to live well. Wonder is what will motivate us to act 
in ecologically wise, life-saving ways. It is what will help us to consider the myriad perspectives that any situation of any situation we are in, as well as the interconnectedness of reality. It is what will lead us to make good decisions for the long term, not just the short run. The emotion of wonder will also sustain us for the long term. It's not accidental that the emotion of wonder elicits wisdom. Just as wisdom is intended for the ages, so is wonder. It doesn't diminish, but grows over time. In this way, it has the power to sustain us through crisis after crisis. It doesn't seem coincidental, therefore, that in its time of crisis, when the kingdom of Israel collapsed at the hands of the Babylonians and a significant portion of the population was deported into exile, the body of wise sayings that had already been compiled received a new framework, one that grounded wisdom in creation. When Israel as a nation failed, when the old centers of power, king, temple, and priesthood had collapsed or eroded, wisdom became personified as lady wisdom, the domestic manager and sustainer of the whole world. There is, I think, a lesson for us in this. In such times of crisis, when everything we used to count on for order and stability in the world seems like it's going to break apart, we need to be reminded of the interconnectedness of all things. We need to behold and be wowed by the majesty, the diversity, order, and design of the relationships among all things. We need to feel wonder and reverence for the stability that this interconnectedness nature of our interconnected nature of our reality provides. Thank God that the cosmos does not hang by a single thread. So innumerable are the variables and complexities of the interconnected interconnections in the cosmos that while a change in one thing will surely pull on some other part of creation, there is a profound measure of stability and great potential for new connections to emerge. Is it necessary for urban and suburban dwellers like you and me to leave this place, the places where we live, in order to experience wonder? Is it necessary to be in remote natural environments in order to behold and be struck by the majesty, the diversity, order, design, and interconnectedness of all things? I hope not. The Bible assures us that wisdom is everywhere available. In the city, at its gates and crossroads, Lady Wisdom calls out to all of humanity, asking everyone to pay attention to her. If wisdom is everywhere available, surely the wonder that leads to wisdom can also be experienced everywhere. We don't have to look far. We do, however, have to take the time to experience it. 
Wonder is an emotion that is less available to us when we are rushed with routines and weary from work. It requires slowing down, even standing still. And when we do slow down in order to pay attention and marvel at the order, design, and interconnectedness of all things, we will, I believe, find ourselves wiser for it. Amen.